You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are on week five on a six-week journey on the book of James. Uh, we have uh, so far tackled chapters one to chapter two. Uh, we skipped chapter 3 because I talked about that uh, in chapter 2 a little bit on the, on the tongue. Uh, but today we're going to be looking at chapter 4, uh, which is really an interesting topic and a very relevant topic at that. You know, last week was a very, um, you know, a blockbuster week uh, for, for, uh, for many because, uh, you know, for me personally, I was able to watch the movie uh, Infinity Wars, okay? And so I don't know if you've watched that movie. How many of you watched that movie? How many of you plan to watch that movie? Okay? Uh, because uh, this is going to be a spoiler alert. No, 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 just kidding, okay? Uh, I'm not going to say anything about that movie. But interestingly, this is uh, Avenger number three for Marvels. Just the title of Infinity Wars. So one of the biggest blockbuster things, you know, um, most of the superheroes were gathered on the big screen uh, against this super villain called Thanos. And uh, so I'm just going to stop there, okay? Uh, uh, <laughs> you might stone me right after this, okay? But um, this is very relevant to what we're going to be talking about because when you talk about wars, when you talk about strife, when you talk about quarrels, when you talk about fights, how many of you know that this is not just happening in the movies? This happens every single day. This happens actually in history from the dawn of time. Uh, we've seen wars and battles and they have made such an impact in the history of mankind. From the early wars of the Mesopotamia, we've seen that. Uh, between Israel and the giants that they're uh, facing in the Promised Land, to the recent wars in the Middle East, uh, even the Cold War between uh, North and South Korea, uh, we've seen that. You know, uh, one of the major wars that we've had, of course, uh, in history is the First World War happening in 1914 to 1918. Of course, followed by the Second World War later on, about in the 1940s. We've had our own uh, share of wars uh, in the Philippine-American War, 1899 and 1902. Uh, and it did not stop there. Even in, in every level of life, we see wars. Even fast food wars we have between McDonald's and Jollibee. War too often is a fact of life. You know, when you talk about wars, we tend to try to stop wars by having a peace treaty. You know, this particular peace treaty uh, was during the World War II uh, when finally Germany surrendered to the Allied forces. But, you know, um, we are seeing some hope and glimmer of hope nowadays. Like last week, when you, you probably have been exposed to the, you know, uh, this news uh, that the North and the South Korean president, uh, presidents actually... Uh, uh, Kim Jong-un and Moon Jae-in uh, finally have actually, I think for the, I don't know, maybe twice, met at the demilitarized zone, shook their hands, walked, actually, uh, it was a funny, mo I, I wanted to take that uh, picture, you know, they actually walked together kind of like that, you know, kind of like having a date in the park, okay, but, you know, it was uh, such a refreshing sight to see when two divided countries have actually faced, you know, try, uh, with nuclear arsenals facing each other, finally have actually met, even without the help of any outsider uh, Western entity organization. And so we realize that conflict is real. How many of you would agree with me on that? Conflict is real. 
It happens every day. You probably have, you know, if you're married, you, you, you see that. You know, if you have children, you see that often as well uh, in your homes. Uh, if you have friends, sometimes you get offended. If you have, uh, you know, office mates, there are sometimes uh, altercation, okay, or, or conflicts happening also in, in the office um, area. And so today we're going to be looking at a particular verse from the book of James addressing such, but it's not limited to war. This, you know, in fact, you will look at the general classification of this text that we're going to be reading. It's talking about worldliness, but it's really referring to war at three fronts. There are three kinds of wars that we are facing as human beings. And so I'd like for us to open and look at it from the book of James. Uh, I'd like to invite uh, all of you. The open James chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your what? On your passions. You adulterous people, you do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Everybody say, more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a what? A judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you so much for the preaching of your word this morning. We ask that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us as a church. Lord, anoint my lips to speak your word, and I pray for your grace to deliver this in accordance to your will. We ask, Lord God, that you would change our hearts and change our minds today to obey, to not just be merely hearers of the word, but be doers of the word as well. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I realize that we have one judge here uh, sitting uh, in our congregation. So yes, uh, she can judge in the courtroom, okay? Uh, but when you talk about the book of James, James is really so much interesting. Uh, now it's getting even more interesting because we've talked about uh, trials, chapter 1. We've talked about uh, being a doer of the word. Uh, we've talked about, of course, part of that is talking about the tongue. We talked about partiality. Last week we talked about... Uh, that we are supposed to be um, supposed to combine works with faith because faith without works is what is dead, and so we talked about uh, faith without compassion is dead, and faith without 
uh, conviction is dead. Faith without commission uh, is dead. And today we, we continue on the book of James. James is actually the half-brother of Jesus, as, as you know. He's one of the leaders of our church, of the church in Jerusalem during the first century. Uh, in fact, you'll find his name is not to be confused with the brother of John. Of course, uh, the sons of Zebedee or the sons of Thunder is John and James. And James is not that James who's the brother of John. He's the brother of Jesus. Okay? And so um, James happens to be one of the apostolic leaders, one of the bishops of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, you'll find in Acts chapter 15. And uh, this particular thing that he was addressing to the church is not foreign to him. He was talking about it from a first-hand uh, experience that he's going through that. And he's talking about conflicts. He's talking about strife. He's talking about quarrels. In fact, one tragic uh, thing that happened to his life was, you know, in the, in, uh, in the temple. As he was ministering, as he was one time ministering, and this was actually the end of his life, uh, there was a riot that was stirred in the temple, and uh, they threw him from the temple top. I mean, talking about wars and talking about strife. Can you imagine, you know, uh, pushing your pastor off the 16th floor of the Acacia Hotel? <laughs> That's what happened to James. Because of the riot in the church, they attacked him. And guess what happened? After they pushed him off the pinnacle of the temple, he was still alive. And a riot came out and he actually was killed because they actually stoned him and beat him to death. That was the end of his life. So he was talking about a reality here about strife and quarrels. That sometimes, and he was talking about, you know, uh, murder even. And, you know, in this particular scenario, he began his letter by talking about and addressing the church as brothers. You know, he was talking about, you know, brothers who are scattered in the, you know, different areas of, of, uh, of the diaspora. And now he shifted his tone from brothers to now talking to them as what? Adulterous people, as double-minded, you know, as sinners. You know, can you imagine just this particular part of James? He was addressing worldliness and he was addressing war about war in the church and war outside and war within ourselves. So there are three wars that we're dealing with. Number one is war with others. Everybody say war with others. You know, surely brothers, you know, in Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. You know, that's exactly the call of the church. That you and I are brothers and sisters. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, You are my brother, if, you, if it's a man, okay? Or you're my sister. You, you, you tell that person, You are my brother, you're my sister. We may have a different surname, but in, in the church community that we're in, we're a family here, right? How many of you know that we are a family? In a family, there's no disposable relationships, right? Or is there? Is there really unity in the church? You know, as James is talking about this in that particular setting, he was just reminding them there's a war within and war among brothers. And this is our desire. In fact, this is the prayer that Jesus prayed that is probably been left unanswered. That they may be one. That you and I are one. And how many of you know that the church nowadays still is a work in progress in the area of unity? Come on now. And we've seen this in history. We've seen this happening in the, in the people of God. Lot's men quarreling with Abraham's men. Absalom created a war against his father David. The disciples of Jesus 
argued who would be the greatest. Can you imagine? Jesus was still there and they were arguing, can I sit in your right? Can I sit in your left? They were positioning themselves. It's a war for position. It's a war for, for possession. It's a war for power. It's a war for prominence. There are so many different issues why people go out for war. Paul and Barnabas, mighty apostles of the first century church, had a squabble against John Mark. You know, you know, Paul said, he deserted me, so I'm not going to take him in my trips. Barnabas said, no, I'm going to take him in my trip. So, you know, things, how many of you know that these things happen? There is a, a war out there. Verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is there really a fight? Is there some quarrels that happens in the church? Even in the New Testament church, they had problems. Paul was writing in the Corinthians and he was talking about, you know, brothers bringing somebody to court, suing one another, competing in public assemblies. In the book of Galatians, the brethren were backbiting and devouring one another. And so he was correcting and rebuking the church for such. We see this also in verse 11 of uh, what we've read earlier. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Can we read the rest of the verse? One, two, three. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He's able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge? Your neighbor. Many times the reason why there are fights and there are conflicts and there's strife happening in the church is because of just judging. Maybe expectations that were not fulfilled, offenses, and you tend to go and judge. Personal war is happening. And we are admonished not to speak ill or violence against one another. And so I call these personal wars. There's personal wars happening in the church. Even in the book of James, he addressed certain class wars, you know, economic classes. In the same book, in chapter 2, he said, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If you show partiality to your neighbor, the rich and the poor. He's talking about class economic wars. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? He also talked about some employment wars. James chapter 5, verse 4 to 5. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. How I many of you know that James is just so on point? He's so pointed in the way he's writing this letter. He doesn't mix words with this. It's not apologetic. He's addressing the church. Maybe that's the reason why they threw him off the cliff or off the temple. And so we easily get into war against each other. You know, I'm just so thankful that in this particular situation that our church hasn't had a church split. 
in 34 years by the grace of God. Amen. I've read and I've heard stories about churches, you know, having splits over political situations inside the church. One particular church fought about a certain policy in the church and two factions came out. And what they did after that was they hired themselves policemen so that both sides will not be able to use the sanctuary of the church. One is on the right side, one is on the left side. Nobody is about to, cannot use the sanctuary in the middle. Can you imagine? Because of a certain policy. Another church in the U.S. actually had a division in the church. And guess what the fight was all about? The color of the carpet of the church. For years, they had the carpet red because it represents the blood of Christ. But maybe the new pastor came and said, maybe it's time for us to change the carpet. There was a war between the old and the new. How many of you are glad that we don't have to change the carpet here in Akasha Hotel? Thank you, Akasha, for having this brown carpet. People fight for the most petty reasons. And ultimately, they dishonor God. And the reason why people have wars against one another is because they have wars within their hearts. This is the reason why we have hate, we have strife, we have conflict. And if you continue reading on in verse 1b, is not this, is it not this that your passions was at war within you? And James was pointing out the reason why there's quarrel, the reason why there are fights among you is because there are passions at war within you. You know, when you talk about passions here, of course, this is not referring to the passions that drives you to work every day. This is not talking about the enthusiasm. James is not referring to that kind of a passion. But the passion that he's referring to here is actually our own selfish desires. King James talks about lusts, the passion of the heart, the passion, the selfish, self-centered desire, the hedonistic motives of human beings. There's always a war within our flesh, heart and flesh. You don't want to see things happening if it's not in accordance to our own will. You know, we see children. And I realize that many of us have kids here. They just fight. And somehow... You know, it is just a revelation that even if no one is teaching them to fight, they will just fight. Why? Because of their selfish desires. We see that. I see that in my own home. You know, uh, just, anyway, I don't want to describe anymore. But you know what I'm talking about if you have more than one child. You know, you know sibling rivalry. But the thing is, many times we see this scenario, children growing up, and they become adults, and they don't know still how to manage their desires and how to manage their lust, and they still continue on fighting with the people around them because of their selfish ambition and selfishness and self-centeredness. Our desire for things to satisfy our pleasures, power, Position, prominence, possessions. Simply put, the key problem here is selfishness. It's me, mine, and I. 
the root of sin is the letter I. And the center of pride is the letter I as well. Passion reveals the spiritual condition of our hearts. My spiritual condition is revealed by my longings. If I ask you this morning, what's your longings and what's your desires? What are the deep, deepest wants of your life? If I ask you, maybe take a survey here. Don't worry, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to do that. But what are you praying for? What are you longing for? What is your deepest? Guess what? That, is the, that reflects the condition of our hearts. You know, if we, you know, we just worshiped earlier. And if we desire, Lord, I want to have more of you in my life. Guess what? That is the spiritual condition of our heart. More of God and less of me. That's the prayer of John the Baptist. But if our prayer is more of the stuff, more of the world, and we use God as a stepping stone to get what we want from the world, that reveals the condition of our hearts as well. I'm not saying that you don't pray for anything. I do pray for things. I do pray for my needs. I do pray for my family. I do pray for uh, certain needs in the home, for wants as well. There's nothing wrong with that. But yet this is what the book of James is revealing from the text, that our inner passion, our inner desires, our motive, merely reflects the condition of our spirituality before the Lord. What are your deepest longings? In verse 2, it says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Such selfishness and such self-centeredness leads to what? Wrong actions. Murder. Can you imagine murder? In this particular case, you don't mind murder. We may not literally or physically kill Somebody, right? But how many of you sometimes you're okay in killing a relationship? Or maybe killing a reputation? Or maybe killing a friendship if we get offended? If our very own desires is not met? We can't surely, we cannot surely be a murderer I mean, is James really talking about us as murderers? Take note of this uh, particular scripture in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. It says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that murderers have no eternal life abiding in him. This is also from, uh, is from the book of John. In the second part of verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. Here we see it again, passion. Just using prayer as a stepping stone of getting what we want. And this particular verse always is referring, is, of course, it's referring to prayer. Prayer is the proper posture in our place that we uh, in our hearts before the Lord. You know, of course, you're familiar with delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you what? The desires of your heart. There's nothing wrong with a godly desire. We, you know, God 
has no problem hearing his children. Don't get me wrong there. He desires for us to sit at his feet and listen and learn from him and share our innermost secrets and innermost struggles. God wants us to grow in him. But if our desires and our wants take place and become idols in our lives, then there's something wrong there. And James was so just very, you know, deliberate and intentional in exposing this, you know, truth in the hearts of the people in the church then and even in the heart of the people today. Wrong action. You murder because you don't get what you want. Wrong motives. Sometimes we ask with selfish motives, don't we? So that we may actually satisfy our selfish desires. A proof of selfish condition is that it does not lead you to the right prayer. That you're using God as a means to get what you want. Instead of allowing the things to lead us to a path with Him. Wrong praying. A kind of praying that many times goes unanswered is because we ask with wrong motives. Our prayers reveal what we are passionate about. What are your prayers lately? What we do matters to God. But I believe why we do it matters more to Him. Our motives matter. Prayer is important. But the question is, why do we pray? The how-to of prayer is important. The disciples were asking, Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And the Lord said, okay, when you pray, say, Our Father, He gave them the Lord's Prayer. That's a how and a manner of praying, but the why of praying and the motive of praying is also very much important. Many times we use God to get what we want instead of using what we have in order to get more of God. And I believe God wants us to be in a path of having more of Him. And may our prayer be that, that we'll have more of God and less of the world. People war against each other because they war within themselves and ultimately this reflects of a war with God. That's why, you know, when you talk about when James is exposing this, he suddenly shifts his tone to adulterous people and is addressing things in the church. This is really the root cause of every war, whether internal or external. It's really war with God. We are enemies of God, so to speak. At the beginning of creation, the world had perfect harmony, but sin came into the world. And how many of you know that from that time on, man was at war with God because of sin? In verse 4, it says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God? God being our enemy. There are two different sides here. To be a friend of the world is to become an enemy of God. Which one would you like to befriend? The world or God Himself? 
By the world, James here means human society apart from God. He's not referring to for God so loved the world. That world there is referring to us, lost people, lost human race. But James is not referring to a lost human race. He was talking about the systems of the world. He's talking about the passions and the lusts and the desires brought by the world. The whole system of things in this society is actually anti-Christ and anti-God. If you look at our society the way we live now, so many things are just in opposite direction on what God is teaching from, from the Bible. And when we talk about friendship, friendship is really very, it's an important aspect. How many of you have friends? Can you please raise your hand? How many of you have friends? I hope all of us are raising our hands, right? You know, many of us have friends in Facebook, right? You have friends, maybe you've got like 5,000 friends in Facebook. Bless your heart, okay? But the question is, do you really know them? Do you really know and consider them as friends? Because when you talk about friends, friends are deep relationships. Friends are more than any shallow relationship that we can actually have in our life. When you talk about friendship, friendship means shared life, shared passion, shared, uh, you know, uh, shared uh, desire, shared direction. When, you're, when you say somebody is your friend, you're actually many times agreeing with what he stands for because of your friendship with this person. If we love the ways and the standards of the world, then the love of the Father or the love of God is not with us. Because those are actually two opposite sides of the pendulum. Friendship with the world is actually compared to adultery. And the believer who's married to Christ ought to be faithful to Him. Amen. Is the world our friend? Is there any compromises in our life? He's referring to you adulterous people. God is jealous for our hearts. God is jealous for our loyalty. Is there any compromise? I mean, how do you, how do you treat your wife? And can you imagine, if I tell Shirley, okay, love, I'm going to be uh, faithful to you for 364 days in a year, okay? I promise you that. 364, I'm yours. All in, my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole being, it's yours. 364 days. But just give me one day in a year. Where I can enjoy myself and just, you know, uh, with no questions asked. Can you imagine if anyone would approach your spouse? How many of you know that your, your spouse will not just readily accept that? Maybe after she slaps me. No, no, she doesn't slap me, okay? You know, she will definitely not accept that. She requires and she's expecting for me to be loyal and to be faithful to her. Not 364 days in a year, but what? 365 days. If there's 366 days, I will be loyal to her. But even if, if I go to her and say, okay, I think I'm asking too much. 364 and 23 hours in a year. Just give me one hour to enjoy my life with just anyone. I don't think so. She expects utmost loyalty and faithfulness from a spouse. And I believe your spouse do too. Amen. There's no fooling around. Not even a hint of immorality, Paul says. 
And yet, we're expecting that from a human relationship called marriage and a covenant relationship with our spouse. But what about our covenant relationship with God? God is definitely expecting a lot more from us, that we are not to play with the world and to compromise with the world. What do you do when you're alone in your room? How do you manage your eyes? How do you treat your spouse? How do you treat your children? How do you treat an office employee? I mean, how are we outside in the world? Are we playing compromises in the world? How do you do your business? Are you doing it above reproach with a good reputation? And so on and so forth. Students, of course, now it's summer. How did you get your grade? It is better to cheat than to repeat. You know, sometimes we, we have this mindset of the world that we bring into Christianity. It's called syncretism. A friend of the world is an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? You know, God is so jealous for our souls. Amen. In fact, one of his titles in the Old Testament, he's, he's a jealous God. Of course, when you talk about jealousy, sometimes you look at jealousy as a negative trait. No, jealousy means I will not share you with anyone. I have given my utmost love and unconditional love and affection to each and every one of us. And he expects nothing less in return. That we are to be faithful and to be loyal to Him. Jesus loves us so much that He wants us for Himself not to be shared with the world. You know, when you love someone, you want the best for that person, don't you? You'll give your best to that person. If you have, you know, whether it's your wife, your husband, your children, you want the best for your children. You will sacrifice for your children. You will give your life in order for your loved ones to, to live and to be saved and to have the best of life. God did it for us. He didn't withhold anything from us. But He simply gave His best for us. My second daughter is celebrating her 12th, oh no, 13th birthday tomorrow and she's just so excited about becoming a teenager. I don't know why. I said, stop growing, okay? But you know, one of the things that she said is, well, she's been asking little things here and there and he said, you know, when we were in our vacation, I said, uh, she, I was, she was with me. She was just had, she's always a tag along. You know, every time... Wherever I go, she's just beside me. She's just so, yeah, I don't know why, okay? So when I would bring down the family in a mall and I would park the car, she said, I'm going to be with dad, okay, to park the car. Just, she's just like that. And so when we were in a vacation, we were together walking in a store and she said, okay, just very, very sheepishly, this shoe is nice, dad. She's not asking for anything, but I kind of, took the hint and it's her birthday so okay go ahead and fit it and then if you like it let's get it okay and then yesterday 
we were in the office and she said, okay, dad, I think one of my birthday gifts or, you know, one of my desires is to have like a ukulele. Uh, and because she's been practicing, actually, she just learned playing ukulele just from YouTube, okay? No teachers, no nothing. So she's playing ukulele. She's, and I bought her a very cheap ukulele, I think about two years ago, worth 300 pesos from SOS. Somewhere there in the mall. And she said, dad, now I want a real Yuk, okay, a real deal, like a brown, nice wood, rosewood ukulele, okay? So I said, okay, let's go and check it out, okay? And so um, we first checked the price, okay, 1000 plus. Okay, that's fine. Go get it. No, that's not the one, Dad. This one. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't want to tell you the price anymore, okay? But anyway, so, but she got it. Of course, it's not 10,000, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong, okay? 3,000 plus. But, you know, I said, okay, because I want the best for you. And I said, I want you to take care of the things that you're getting. But at the same time, I want you to honor God with your skills and with your craft, okay? And another thing that she wants as she turns 13 tomorrow is that, can I now officially watch Netflix as a 13-year-old? I said, Yes, but it depends on the grade or the classification of that movie. But anyway, so we want the best for our children. We want the best for our loved one. Amen. As long as it will not hurt them. And I believe God has no problem giving us our desires as long as it will not hurt us. He is not an, you know, an ogre or a Thanos kind of a God you know, who will actually destroy us, but he will actually be there to support us. But at the same time, he doesn't want anything that will hinder us from our walk with him. Single people, what is your longing? What's your desires? Is it really about just finding Mr. or Miss Right? Or is it about having more of God in your life? Guess what? Let me just tell you this. There's no amount of satisfaction that a human being can bring to your life compared to what God can bring to your life. What Jerry Maguire said, you complete me, is not true. So that's just Hollywood. Only God can complete us. Amen. And there is actually a void and a hole in our heart that really was placed there by God from day one, a longing for companionship and a longing for relationship, and it cannot be filled by an imperfect human, be human being just like us. Human beings will fail us, but God will never fail us. Amen. He will be there. He's jealous for us, and He wants the best for us. Married people as well. The best thing that you can have is a deep love relationship with Jesus. Don't put too much expectation on your spouse to fill that void because he or she will not be able to do that. Only Jesus can fulfill that. But if you're married, be loyal and be faithful to your spouse as Jesus is expecting us. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. This is from John Piper. Allow me to just move on very quickly. James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace. Everyone say, more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. How many of you are humble here? Okay. <laughs> Praise God. Okay. You have grace. 
If you are humble, you've got to be a recipient of grace. God just wanted to, just wants to lavish His grace uh, to us. Grace is an unmerited favor. You don't work for it. You ask for it, and you got it. In the midst of our struggles, there's grace. Amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. In your weakness, God is there. In your weakness, His grace is there. In your temptation, His grace is there. Grace is the ability to say no to sin and yes to God. That's the essence of grace. Grace is not God blindfolding Himself and saying, Okay, my son, my daughter, you can sin as you want. Sin as, you, know, you can sin all you want. And I'm just going to forgive you. I'm not going to look anymore. Okay, just go ahead and sin. Okay? And my grace will be there. No, that's not grace. That's called licentiousness. If we look at God that way, then He is not a holy God, but He is a holy God. Amen. Holiness demands that we also become holy just like Him. And how can anyone be holy like God? It's all by His grace. It's all by His grace. Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came to increase the, uh, the trespass, but where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our compromises, grace abounds even more so that we can be lifted up from that situation and we can say no to sin and yes to God. How do we enjoy peace with God? Three imperatives here as I close. This is just an action point. Faith without works is dead. And it's amazing that as James was talking about grace, he's talking about, okay, now that you have experienced the grace of God, that is the basis of us being able to do this. Number one, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit to Him. Submission is actually a military term, meaning position yourself under your commander-in-chief. That is what submission is all about. Get into your proper rank. And as you submit yourself to God, what do you need to do? Resist the devil. And what, he will, what will he do? He will free, flee from you. Many times the reason why the devil is right there by your side because you're not resisting him. As you submit to God, guess what? Your action point is you are resisting the enemy and he's got no choice but to flee from us. Never give a foothold to the enemy in your life. Amen. David compromised in this particular case. He warred with God by compromising and having an affair with Bathsheba. But later on, he realized, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fight with God anymore. I'm going to submit to God. And thus he wrote Psalm 51. And he said, a broken and contrite heart, you know, you cannot despise. And he submitted to him ultimately. Second is we need to draw near to God. First, submitting to God is a must. Second, draw near to God. He will what? Draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, uh, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. God draws near us. But our response is to draw near to Him. He is the one that brings us back to Him as well. How do we do this? By approaching Him and being humble and confessing our sins. If we'd fail Him, instead of running away from God, we are to draw closer to Him. Amen. You know how it is. Human nature is when you are in fault, you just tend to run away from the scene of the crime. I mean, that's human nature. But what God is saying is don't run away just like the prodigal son. The prodigal son even had 
that moment wherein he came to his senses and he came back to God. Amen. And he received a restoration after that. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. A.W. Tozer said, Nearness is likeness. Everybody say, Nearness is likeness. The nearer we are to God, the more you become like Him. Have you ever noticed if you're married, generally you tend to, you know, morph into the same image already because the more, uh, the nearer you are to one another, the more you, it may not be in the physical, but in your thought pattern, your decision making, your heart, your emotion, you become the same already. You become like one another. And God graciously draws near to us when we deal with our sins in our life. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. As we humble ourselves before God and say, God, deal with me. I actually expose myself to you. First John says, if we confess our sins before God, He is faithful and just to so forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's just so many things that we've talked about. War against other people. War within ourselves. War with God. The strife normally is caused by selfishness in our hearts. And the only way to address this is to humble ourselves before the Lord. To draw near Him. To submit to Him. Sin is very serious. It's got serious consequences. You can actually choose the sin that you commit, but you can never choose the consequence of that sin that you've committed. You can choose to confess, yes, but many times there's consequences that this sin brings. And God desires for us to be a people who's holy before Him. A people who's called out of darkness. A people of the light, not a people of the world. And I believe James is very on point and he's just very straightforward in his discussion, in this truth, in the church. Proverbs 16, verse 7 When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. God wants us to be at peace with Him. Amen. The question is, are we diligent in making sure that our ways are pleasing before the Lord? Are there areas in our life that are not pleasing before Him? And I believe God wants us to put that under His microscope every single day and say, God, this particular area in my life, I want to submit before You. If there's areas of offense and unforgiveness, I want to submit this before You. If there's areas of compromise in my morality in the way I do business in the way I live my personal life I want to submit this before you if there's areas in my life that is prideful and arrogant I want to submit this before you let the Holy Spirit deal with us today and ask and maybe there are some selfish motives and worldly passions that are rising up from within may the Holy Spirit convict us and give us the grace to overcome Amen